Cameron. Did I, did I just do video? I don't know. The computer I'm oh. talking to you on does not have a webcam, though. You're my webcam. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That means a lot to me. Yep. Are you actually recording um, this time so you get my excellent, excellent jokes that are very good and funny? And, I, and re- I and just started. So clever. I just started. Good. I don't. I would hate for our listeners to miss out on that. Hey, welcome to Think Outside the Box Set. It's a podcast for artists that may be misunderstood, unrecognized, or dismissed. And I'm Nathan Hunt. And I'm Cameron DeWitt. And Cameron, what do we do on this show? We're doing a palate cleanser. Palate cleanser. Uh, More palate cleansers. We had a four episode season real short and we were just like we need a break we worked really hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah and our palates um, were so dirty we've been eating shit this whole uh, time <laughs> <laughs> so um we had a nice uh, refreshing uh serving of when we all fall asleep where do we go from billy eilish mm-hmm. and Next, uh, today, we're doing John Vanderslice. And hopefully, um, before we start on season 10, um, we will cover fun by Garth Brooks. If he Brooks. ever gets his yet? fucking act together, Jesus, well, I can go back to his website. Is it out? I don't... I, I, fun. It should be Garth on his Brooks. website, you would think, right? Uh, okay, so there's a Wikipedia article about it. Huh. <laughs> it's not on Garth's website. It still website. says it's upcoming. Not on his website. Uh, all it says is fun, 2019. All right, so we might have to get to that later. We can still maybe, order it. Maybe not. Uh, we can next. pre-order it on Amazon still. Oh, goody. Yep. <laughs> uh, but so Billie Eilish's album was one I wanted to talk about, and you were like, hey, I want to do it too. And I was like, Me too. Fine. Me too, though. Um, yeah. And last time you did this to me. Uh, I did it um, to you, yes. It was a bad... It was a bad podcast because I just absolutely did not know how to engage with John Cale, at least that one album, the Paris uh, date album. 1919, which is a hundred years ago. Wow. And uh, this album, Pixel Revolt, which you chose. Yes. um, For the first five or so songs... I was like, fuck, Nathan, you fucking did it again. I'm so goddamn <laughs> bored. I don't know how to engage with this. But then it really picked up. And it, the chord progression started getting more interesting. The songs uh, started feeling a little more... I don't know if I just needed to get inoculated a little bit to start um, you know, trusting the poetry in it or what, but I started engaging a lot more. What? Um, Cameron, about I'm midway through. I'm confused by like, I feel like many of these songs are, are fairly straightforward. Like song well, two, I guess Plymouth Rock. We'll have to get into that. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> damn it. I thought this was going to go better, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how I think it, I think it will. I okay. liked a lot of songs and for specific reasons. Yeah in this album good 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 so i'll at least be able to talk about those and maybe you'll be able to like convince me about the other ones yeah and cameron you know your your very favorite goat john darnell did edit expand and etc all these lyrics he's credited on the album credits in fact yeah it said lyrics by and then in parentheses uh what was the specific wording like improvements edits um, edited expanded and otherwise improved upon by john darnielle yeah 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 i can hear that mm-hmm. yeah i i think this album is great i think it, it has a really interesting approach to writing about political themes along with personal themes at the same time and it you can definitely read it as a reaction to the culture of paranoia and fear that developed after 9-11 2005 yeah right after not right after iraq but yeah pretty soon afterwards mm-hmm. yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh iraq war here there's a lot of just paranoia suspicion despair loneliness um and it personalizes the political whenever it goes political which i think is smart i think that's the way to do it uh yeah like when you when you try to write politically it's it's very difficult to do without just coming off as being preachy and disgusting um, um mm. 
I'm the only one who stopped to see if he was dead. Ooh, turned out he was dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talking about the issues, but we're keeping it funky, Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, th- there were some obvious, like, hey, we're going to be political now songs in this, but not in a um, Black Eyed Peas kind of way. Right. Yeah. Where's the love, Nathan? <laughs> Where is right the love? Here. Oh, John oh. Vanderslice's album Pixel Revolt. It is the love. It was here the whole time. <laughs> Perhaps the real Pixel Revolt was the friends we made along the way. I am, I, no disrespect to uh, Where is the Love and Black Eyed Peas. I especially like how they're just, they just straight up say in that song, like, the CIA are terrorists. <laughs> like, that's like, they did that a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's bold. That's yeah. Pretty yeah. good stuff. Yep. It's true. Uh, hey, you know who got first got me listening to John Vanderslice? Was it, was it my brother-in-law and our mutual friend, Jonathan Roberts? No, it was your wife. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, it was I had no idea before that I met she, John. Well, I wonder if she found out about John Vanderslice from John. I think she did. I think she even said that. Um, I th- oh. I think it was when we were in Paraguay and we were like swapping iPods or music files or whatever. And uh, oh yeah, it that makes sense. It wasn't this album. It was um, Time Travel Is Lonely. Uh, but yeah, I didn't actually listen to this album until I think 2011, and uh, that was when I was living in Philly with you, Cameron. You may remember. And I was uh, deep in the 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 Sturm und Drang of my own loneliness, suspicion, and despair. Yeah, I remember. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. But this album has some pretty uh, pretty unflinching looks at mental health and um, despair in a way that uh, connected with me a lot at the time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was super cool. <laughs> radical, man. Cowbunga. Depression is so fucking radical. <laughs> yeah. All this right. song is like the kickflip of sadness. <laughs> the kickflip of sadness. What's up, my fellow emos? <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys want to go grind some tears? Ollie some, uh, ollie some sobs? Yeah. Kickflip your sadness? I don't know. Yeah. Any any other general thoughts about this? Well, let me ask you this: Did you like it? Uh, I mean, I give you my my take. So a little little bit mixed. Uh, I, sound I, like like some songs I really specifically liked. Um, I am not a big fan of. I'm. I don't know. I don't. I I don't listen to that much music. I'm not like an avid consumer. I probably listen to more uh, podcasts than I do music. Yeah, um, me too on like a week-to-week basis and i probably listen to more new music because of this podcast than um than i would just otherwise like some people are constantly like listening to spotify playlists and like discovering new artists that they like and uh i don't do that very often i think maybe in part because i am a professional musician and um the kind of music that i play is so like in person and like in the moment mm-hmm. and like I've shifted my posture about music a lot because of that. Um, Cause I play traditional Appalachian music for people who maybe are listening for their first time. So, yeah. Uh, but um, I'm not a huge fan of this style of music. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. And I know that's a funny thing to say, um, but uh it is, one could say that it is soft rock music. <laughs> I knew you were going to fucking say that, you bastard. <laughs> I hate you so much. Um, I was it like, does have, that's on my bingo uh, card a for lot. stuff Cameron's going to say yeah. about John Vanderslice. <laughs> um, and I do not say that as like an objective statement. Um, although, maybe one thing I will say uh, is that the thing that's soft about it, other than um, its volume, um, is that yeah. a lot of this music does not have a lot of harmonic tension. Mm. Um, yeah. What do I mean by harmonic? What do I mean by harmonic tension? I mean, I don't uh, know. You tell me. Western Western music is built 
on um, cowboys, chord progressions, beans, guitars, <laughs> horses, bandanas, <laughs> rhythmic farting, <laughs> yeah, blazing that. saddles. Yeah, <laughs> love that shit. Um, uh, it's built on chord progressions, and chord progressions are um, a way to set up harmonic expectations and then to either fulfill them or deny um the fulfillment of those expectations Mm -hmm. um and the way that we've been talking about this a lot on the show and both of us both of us (laughs) have yeah equally completely like down to the second equal amounts of time um and where tension comes from um is uh half step um resolutions and what I mean by that is a scale is made up of whole steps and half steps, which is just a way of dividing up an octave into little pieces. And mm-hmm. the idea is you can you take visualize the scale. it easily for those of us who play guitar or piano. If each fret of a guitar is oh, a perfect. half step and each yeah. key of a piano is a, well, depends on if it's white or black keys, but usually it's like it's a half step if you count the white keys and black keys together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I got my banjo here. So I'm going to play the major scale. Everyone knows this. Uh, That is mostly whole steps, but it has a couple half steps in there. So like that note right there, that's from a B to a C, the fourth note, and then the seventh note to the eighth note. Those are the half step resolutions. And they resolve really tense here. And then they resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, the seventh resolves up. The fourth resolves down. Um, so the way that the scale is set up is um, asymmetrical, like this. Uh, whole, whole, so, so whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. So um, the half steps are are put at points in the scale um, that make it sound... It's it's asymmetrical so that it has tension. Because if you were to do a whole note scale, like to go from G to G with just whole notes, it would sound like this. So I could start that scale from... Uh, from any note and it would more or less sound the same because it is symmetrical and each step is the same so you can't really find your bearings Mm -hmm. and there's no way to set up an expectation uh, for a resolution so i'm kind of zooming out a lot here but like all that is to say there in our musical language um it's all about tension Um, and if you don't have harmonic tension, which this album, especially I think the early part of it, um, but all throughout, there's not a lot of harmonic tension. There's not a lot of tense chords that need resolving. Mm -hmm. Um, if you don't have harmonic tension, you need some other kind of attention, uh, some other kind of tension, whether it's rhythmic, um, a lot of there, there can be tension and release in a lot of, um, you know, African music, for instance, that doesn't necessarily have a lot of harmonic tension in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's ways to have a really engaging time musically, but ultimately that doesn't feel like the goal of this album. If anything, it's like lyrical tension, which does something for me. Um, yeah. But I just felt really sleepy a lot of the time. It, ah, I can see it that. Felt, it felt a little bit harmonically, just harmonically. Like listening to a Jack Johnson album. Oh boy, Cameron! Oh, oh no, you really came out the gate swinging not, this time. It's it's not it's not that bad because Jack Johnson albums, like you know, they're way too chill. You know, but like a song will be dangerously like, chill. It'll just be like this, uh, you know, milk toast chord going to this milk toast chord, and then maybe up and down. <laughs> You know, just like no, no, um, yeah, no tension at all. And, uh, if there is, it's immediately resolved in the most boring way possible. Um, I, I sort of felt like a lot of moments in this album 
were not that bad, but definitely not as just not very harmonically engaging. Hmm. Um, I didn't really think of it that way. Uh, the, the, the parts that I like about the music of this album are that it has a lot of, uh, lots of fun melodic phrases um, that are pretty hooky and earwormy to me at least. Um, and oftentimes can be like pretty rhythmically interesting. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate his ear for melody. Um, I never thought of it like the harmonic content and also the, uh, just like the soundscapes that he chooses. I find really interesting, like the various instruments. He has a lot of like tape loops and stuff going on and like mm-hmm. Mellotrons and old analog synthesizers and like Javanese percussion in one song. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I, I appreciate so f- that that part of like the soundscape. So, would you say for you the timbres of of this album were a lot more uh, like as far as the musical boxes that you want checked, the timbres of the individual instruments and how they're recorded and the voices? That's like something that was important to you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's. Album. There's one song on here that has a musical, like a totally instrumental chorus. Uh, it's, it's the song Plymouth Rock. And it is like some of the most mind-bending noises I've ever heard in a song. Like it's really hard for me to wrap my head around what is happening and what instrument is making that noise. Hmm. I mean, do you want to just get into it? Sure. Okay. Um, so Plymouth Rock. Uh, I'll play the first verse. I got a little bit nuts with the fair usage uh, fair use on this album so just a little fair warning here we're we're uh, reviewing and critiquing it so yes it's all fair use <laughs> it's funny i was just listening to a hollywood handbook episode where they use like two and a half minutes of um what's the song it's not don't stop believing but it's something's on a dream or whatever and uh uh Living on a prayer? No, I forget what it is. It, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the Dream producer, Weavers? The producer tells them like they have to comment on the song as they're playing it. Yeah. So they're using this background music. And then one, like I think Sean interrupts, or Hayes, no, Sean interrupts uh, the guest and is like, oh, by the way, this, this song slaps. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a, a throwaway to uh, justify their usage of two and a half minutes of this very popular song. Great. So if anyone's out to get us, go get a Hollywood handbook first. Yeah, get them first. All right. So here's here's song number two, Plymouth Rock. So you can hear there's not a ton of tension, I guess, as Cameron says. Yeah. And it's like, it's not fast. It's pretty down tempo. It's uh, it's a little bit ballady almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Which that, is strange when it's, I mean, juxtaposed with the lyrics. Right. It's, it's a song about a battle. It opens with two Aetha on a moonless night, blacked out except for the street fires. My first raid made up like a Shawnee brave. I even had my head shaved. Um, and Tuatha is a city in Iraq. Um, yeah, isn't it um, the site of a the genius was saying that it's like a nuclear uh, testing facility that got bombed like three times? I mean, I, I guess so. I guess I have to believe the genius. Uh, you have to. Yep. <laughs> uh, bombed by Iran in 1980, Israel in 1981, and USA in 1991. Yeah, okay. Um, so... so- it's a raid on this, I guess, nuclear research facility. And um, yeah, so it's it's uh, a soldier who is having their first combat experience. And then the lyrics continue. When we jumped off the deck, white bullets tore right through my neck. And then there's the like pre-chorus. I lost the reason. I lost the reason I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to hear the instrumental chorus. I lost the reason. 
so that's a super interesting choice to make in a song to have that be the chorus and just have this kind of bonkers soundscape thing happening why are you calling that the chorus just um, out of curiosity does it sort of it shows up in the place where you would expect the chorus to be i would say oh unless i, guess, I mean it's a little bit philosophical but i sort of yeah. counted the like i lost the reason i'm here as the chorus if there is one for this song I guess you could say that, yeah. Just because those are the repeated lyrics. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the reason it, I I sort of gravitate towards thinking of this as the chorus is that I lost the reason a bunch of the instrumentation drops out and it's not very it doesn't have a lot of like energy to it mm. whereas in the instrumental part like there's a bunch more instruments come in and uh it feels like sort of the crescendo of the energy of the song like a chorus often has. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's like that definitely the most anthemic I, part of the song. I do appreciate something that this, <laughs> something that John Vanderslice seems to do that is better than a lot of other <laughs> soft rockers mm. is um, he has a lot of uh, instrumental melodies that are not related to the sung melodies. They are specifically instrumental in their conception. Um, and they're like arranged and that's really cool. And they're not just textures. It's not just like the edge doing some sort of delay pedal, like bullshit picky yeah. pattern, you know, um, which can be nice, but like, I like that this is, yeah, there's a really specific angular melody here. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of my favorite moments of the, of the album. Me too. Yeah, when I was first like starting to listen to this album, uh, two songs stood out to me as as like catching my ear very much. It was this one and Trance Manual, which are yeah. incidentally yeah. both songs set in a war zone. I forget if Trance Manual is in set in Iraq or in uh, Afghanistan. Hey, he- here's a question, Nathan. Uh-huh. Um, so the speaker in this song is saying, "I lost the reason. I lost the reason. I'm here." What do you think, John Vanderslice's and maybe to some extent, John Darniel's reason is <laughs> for uh, these lyrics. Um, how do you mean? You mean it's? Do you mean it's? Are they rhetorical? Are they like trying to make a point and make us think like like, like an anti-war message, basically? Uh, yeah. Or if not, if they're not rhetorical, what am I supposed to feel when I listen to this? That's an interesting question because they're juxtaposed um we read the the whole first verse but it's like it ends with when we jumped off the deck white bullets tore right through my neck and then it goes into i lost the reason i lost the reason i'm here and uh the way i read it is um this soldier gets wounded maybe fatally wounded like bullets through the neck uh that sounds like pretty bad news uh yeah and that causes them to basically um forget the like goal the objective like the um the stated rationale for invading this place or bombing it or attacking it or whatever and um it like sort of takes them out of the action and gives them a more reflective posture of just thinking like yeah what what are we even doing here right which is maybe a little bit do you like that um it's not necessarily my favorite part i feel like they're those lyrics are maybe a little bit more heavy-handed than i wish they were the chorus lyrics yeah lyrics i lost the reason i lost the reason i'm here right it feels a little bit perfunctory just so that it's not like an icp style like i want to write a song about a soldier yeah <laughs> who totally just gets like just messed up by yeah, guns blasted in the neck <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, it's like, oh, I better have some sort of profound thing to say or something. And I'm not saying it's not profound. I just don't. I, I, I guess I went there with him, but I wasn't like, wow, that was like nice to hang out there for. It wasn't yeah. unpleasant. It was just mm-hmm. like, why did you take me here? Um, mm-hmm. Why are you? John Vanderslice singing about this. What do you have to offer to it? Um, I'm already pretty familiar with the idea of um, people becoming anti-war because they personally get bodily hurt. Yes. And I think that's a good reason to be anti-war. Yes. You know, but like that's a, uh, I'm just 
really familiar with that as a concept. Um, you also, and, I don't know, you should, you should definitely place this in context, I think. Right, 2005. He was, yeah, he was like writing and recording the album 2004 and 2005, during which time it seemed like the entire country went crazy with jingoistic, sure. uh, like warlike imperialism. And um, yeah, like the Dixie Chicks were blacklisted for daring to say that the Iraq war was a bad idea. Um, right. That's a good point. So I think it's it was maybe more subversive when it first came out. Yeah, to say like, to, to even utter like, oh, I, it, like a sentiment that's like, why are we here again? You know, like right. is like threatening to the like status quo, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it didn't do a lot for me today. Um, I can maybe appreciate how it would have been more impactful um, to someone then. Right. Or other people today. I don't know. But like, um, yeah, I'm just so far removed. <laughs> I'm just so far removed from like uh, believing in U.S. imperialism. <laughs> you know, like this is yeah. like I became um, so like s- socially conscious um, when we went to Iraq. Like, I mean, like I'm like a the millennial. Like I became a teenager uh, right after 9-11, you know? So it's like, to me, this is all, it's, it's like, this is maybe a little tangential, but the way on social media that middle-aged people, I've probably said this on the show before, but that middle-aged people and older, um, talk about Donald Trump. Um, Mm -hmm. they feel sort of giddy with how much of a stinker they're being about like hating on Trump, um, like, and feeling really rebellious about like just being anti-president, you know, mm-hmm. and I grew up with George Bush. So like when, by the time I was thinking about presidents and whether they're good or not, like my first, the first time I thought about an American president was, um, uh, Bill Clinton and his scandal. And then it was George Bush. And so like my, yeah, entire adolescence, um, and, um, the first moments of my adulthood were all, yeah, that just like, mm-hmm. this is all fucked. So I don't know, like, yeah, I guess my point is, uh, um, to me, it just sort of felt like, duh. Yeah. Uh. Like this song, you know what I mean? Like I'm mm-hmm. so, so many layers, like beyond, uh, this in, in my own like personal journey of how I feel about war. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is specifically supposed to be about a U.S. soldier or not. Um, it seems like maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Probably. So that's all very subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I may have liked it more if it wasn't this sort of like, um, surreal reverie. Um, how is it surreal? You know what to I mean? what extent is it surreal? Uh, the music feels okay. So the lyrics are very grounded. Yeah. Um, cause it's all like, literally like we jumped off, a uh, jumped off the deck. I got shot in the neck. Um, and then I bled to death and I could hear guns. Well, it doesn't say that she, he necessarily bled to death, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like a call for help. Um, and then I lost the reason I'm here. So lyrically it's not surreal, but the, the feeling that I get from it is it's so not urgent mm-hmm. um, for most of the song, except for that hook has sort of like a little bit of anxiety in it because of it's like the way it's sort of angular and constantly changing, which instruments are playing the melody. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of orchestral and contrapuntal, but um, yeah, the song just sort of feels uh, too relaxed for what it's singing about in a way that I imagine like, it's like, he's just sort of distracted and out of it because he's uh, so injured. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. The, it, it makes it feel surreal because he's not, um, it doesn't feel like he's panicked, mm-hmm. but like there's a part of him in his subconscious. that's like, da na na da na na da Like, that's like, Hey, uh, bleeding to death. Come uh, on. You know? Yeah. But then like, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's like it's effective, but it didn't necessarily affect me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think we should probably move on. Um, oh, as a side note, would hey, you describe wait, wait. John Darnielle, uh, the Mountain Goats, as soft rock? Uh, it doesn't feel very soft to me. 
just because of the, it has more harmonic tension? Um, he he does have a lot of harmonic tension. Also, he plays so hard on his instrument. That's true. Uh, he hammers that guitar. Like, yeah, it is acoustic, but like he's he's playing it like punk music. You know, um, he's really pushing the limits of of his instrument and his vocals a lot of the time. So I would mm. say some of his music is like, especially like uh, a lot of the songs on the was it the life of the world to come the one that's all bible verses mm-hmm. yeah. um anyway so he has like his moments but yeah i wouldn't necessarily say that oh, okay also i know that i'm being tongue-in-cheek about this whole thing like <laughs> but i i think i have some sort of yeah like subjective uh like i need to be won over by someone if they're playing in a rock band <laughs> mm-hmm. that's um any rock band, but I think especially one that is like, just sort of sounds like a kind of moody indie rock. Mm, interesting. So, I think I, I'm a little bit more predisposed to like moody indie rock. Yeah. It's, it's a prejudice that I have and I haven't necessarily gotten to the bottom of why. Okay. Um, it might have something to do with like uh, tr- uh, being a musician in Portland in the odds. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, what, what song do you want to talk about? Wait, 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 oh. we got to hmm? wh- Why is it called Plymouth rock? Uh, pff, you got me. There are some really, uh, Plymouth rock I- inexplicable, uh, titles on this album. I mean, the, the title of the Explic- album itself, them. <laughs> the title of the album itself pixel revolt you could explain i think you can you can um think of it almost like a dead pixel or a stuck pixel on a computer screen where it's just one tiny little dot that's not doing what it's supposed to and is kind of like rebelling sure. against the the uh orders from the oh, computer yeah. i guess i like that it's like insignificant but it's like still rebelling um and that's that that happens a lot and in a lot of these songs it does happen or it sort of connects thematically in that way but some of these like plymouth like plymouth rock might be one of the more inexplicable ones um i have no clue honestly maybe he is um from plymouth massachusetts and is dreaming of being back there or something is plymouth rock where is it where the like first pilgrims came is that the first landing of pilgrims um or is that somewhere else i think of the pilgrims specifically they might have first landed at plymouth rock yeah okay yeah Hmm. but i do not know how it connects to a raid on tuefa right (laughs) yeah yeah i mean maybe just i don't know i'm reaching here but like didn't a lot of pilgrims have just like a really rough time um, because they did not know how to live and survive in the new world, even yep. though it was just like absolutely lush and <laughs> yep <laughs> and fertile. Yes. Um, not only that, and, but uh, when they arrived, a lot of the local uh, indigenous inhabitants had been killed by a plague. So they arrived oh, to right. like cleared for like uh, meadows and paths and um, just like, basically the remnants of infrastructure already in place. They didn't have to like clear a bunch of trees to get fields to plant. It was like already cleared. Right. So they, they like so had everything maybe, going for them. Maybe it's like all these like white people that are very idealistic and have this mission and then they show up and then shit goes down. Um, and then they're like, why are we here again? Yeah, could be. I don't know. That's my best guess. Yep. All right. Let's and move. Shawnee brave. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the Shawnee, I just looked them up. They lived around, like, Ohio-ish area, modern-day Ohio. So, not really near Plymouth Rock itself. Yeah, uh, great. Yep. All right, we've got to move on. We've covered one song. One it's song. Been 30 minutes. Yep. <laughs> uh, what song next do you want to talk about? Hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about something I did find really musically interesting. Uh, New Zealand Pines. Okay. Let's see. That is number six. Yeah. Walking tour. You were my proof. You were my 
Okay, so this cool. song, hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. There's and there's there's also some like cool like blippity bloopity uh, fun instrumentation going on there too. Um, which, as a side note, from what I understand, John Vanderslice, who whose whose main job is running a music studio in San Francisco, he runs Tiny Telephones. Um, it is an all analog studio, a hundred percent analog. Mm. So even those blippity bloopity bleep bloops are analog, I guess. So cool. for what that's worth, it just like ups yeah. the difficulty factor of getting those kinds of things going. Those are hard, hard one bloops. They're hard one bloops. Oh boy. Yep. Uh, so this song is about Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, which does, it has a, um, sort of like arboretum area where there are different climates. And the song says they have a garden there where climates of the world are laid out on a walking tour. And then it shifts directly into the personal. I mean, they mentioned the, the, the personal earlier where it says we spent our Mondays there safe inside our replica. And then it shifts into the chorus where he says, you were my proof. You were my wetsuit. I will be okay. I can keep the things I love at bay. If, if I can keep, right? I don't know if it's actually if. I kind of want to pull out the lyrics sheet, if you'll permit me a second to step okay. away from the mic. Vamp while I'm gone. I'm excited to hear what you're going to come up with. God, I was just going to do the delete silence function, but fine. Uh, so, hmm. Nathan's so excited to be talking about one of his one of his darlings, one of his darling albums. I'm trying so hard not to be too grumpy. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Did you have fun without me? Uh, yeah, just a little, a little personal aside. Oh, very good to the listeners. I am looking at the lyrics right now. Um, it, it does say if I can keep the things I love at bay, which is interesting uh. because it it he clearly in the first verse says we spent our Mondays there, but the lyrics sheet has it as we walked our Mondays there. Oh, weird. Hmm. I mean, that happens sometimes where the lyric sheets are like not exactly what they say on the recording. Yeah. All right, so talk about why do you like this song? Well, I guess I feel like this is trustworthy poetry. I can't necessarily explain everything in it. But uh, what I like is there's a bunch of specifics. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like there's a, he sets the scene, Golden Gate Park. It's the first lyrics. We walked our Mondays there, (laughs) spent our Mondays there. They have a garden there. Climates of the world are laid out on a walking tour. Um, uh, and then the second verse, winter light falls through South America onto New Zealand pines. That's like kind of cool. Um, yeah. They're yeah. doing like world building in the lyrics. Literally. Um, Ranger locked the gates. I took cover under the dead wood and fragrant vines. Um, yeah. So... I like those specifics that makes me want to trust the, uh, the more poetic moment in right. the chorus. You were my proof. You were my wetsuit. I will be okay. If I can keep the things I love at bay, I'm not sure exactly what he means by this, but he was talking in an interview, um, about this song, uh, it, he says, so it's about walking in the park as a substitute for real travel, real emotional engagement. And apparently this song is about his ex-girlfriend. I could see that, like taking the um, the falsity of the uh, like um, artificially created climates as sort of a metaphor yes. for the, I guess, I guess their relationship, or at least this person's role in that relationship. Yeah, and I guess like maybe how that the if i can keep the things i love at bay like i don't know what that would mean necessarily in their relationship but like in the metaphor he's like he has this sort of safe distance he can visit new zealand real quick and then he can uh, disengage really quickly right yeah um or go on to some other novel thing yeah um, there's there's a lot of imagery in here about protection we walked our mondays there safe inside our replica and then you were my right. wetsuit is like a protective garment. And I will be okay if I can keep the things I love at bay. And then th- at the very last uh, unique lyrics of the song are, I took cover under the dead wood and fragrant vines. Yeah. So this person is hiding. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's like pretty good poetry. I do not think it's a bluff. 
I think it, you know, I think all the pieces are there to uh, be trustworthy. Um, that there is something uh, not just to explicitly take away from it, but to just sort of listen to the song and um, experience this feeling. Uh, I think the the lyrics earn it, and this is probably one of the most interesting um, songs in its harmonic construction. I think this is the only one that changes key. Oh, okay. Um, it's in the key of B flat major, mm-hmm. uh, and the choruses change keys to D major, um, which is a really different key. It has um, a lot of different notes. Mm-hmm. than uh, B flat major. So B flat major has a B flat and an E flat. Um, and uh, the key of D uh, major has a B natural and an E natural. So that's really different. But it also has an F sharp and a C sharp. And that's really different too. So there's like uh, four notes that wow. are totally different. Uh-huh. And the tonal center is different because it's a D instead of a B flat. So it's like a really, uh, it's a really different uh, key to go to. Um, and the change is a bit abrupt, um, but so I don't necessarily want to get too into the weeds. It makes it, it, it makes it a little bit hard to tell at first where the new key is when it changes key. Hmm. Um, but it sounds like it's doing this one thing where, um, you go from a flat six major chord to a five major chord and then to a one, but but um, but going to a different key, it sounds like it's doing that device, but it's not. Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's 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 slippery in a way that I think is pretty engaging um, and adds a lot of uh, drama mm-hmm. to uh, this song, which it really helped me yeah engage with it. So uh, here is the um, going into the chorus key change. Is this the key change to the three? Uh, yeah. Okay. You were my yeah. proof. Yeah. You were my so chromatically walks down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end of the chorus, um, it just goes uh, sort of back up um, from the last chord. Mm-hmm. I can keep the things I love at bay. happen <laughs> and a lot of those are, um, sound kind of dissonant too or some of them do at least the the really nice part um about that last that is um a deceptive cadence at the end mm-hmm. um it, it we're in the key of d and i think the last chord is an a let me check yeah it's a a major chord mm-hmm. which is the five chord of d major so you think it's going to go back to d and the melody goes Remember what I was saying earlier? The uh, leading tone, the seventh note of the scale, resolves up with a half step to to the eighth note of the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, keep keep my love at bay. So that's like a that's a dominant cadence right there, uh, five to one, and the melody follows that, and it goes up to the um, to the D, which is the uh, excuse me, which is the key that the chorus was in. And then it changes to a B flat there, and a D note is a is a note inside a B flat chord, but it's the third instead of the root. So the melody is still pretending like it's in the key of D, but the mm-hmm. chord changes underneath it. So it's a deceptive cadence ah. there because it keeps the melodic uh, voice leaning going, but changes the context of the melody note. Really clever writing. Hmm. Really dramatic. Mm-hmm. And this is a really chill song. Like, melodically, I mean, uh, uh, the tempo-wise, right. the melody is very sing-songy. Um, it feels lullaby-esque. But the harmony is so dramatic in it. And it really, um, yeah, it makes it feel like th- this is a song about nice feelings um, that aren't simple. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like and art resolved. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. I also like that at the end he stays in the park after hours and just like buries yes. himself underneath like one of these trees. I guess 
and yeah, that's one of my the fav- ranger locked the gates yeah. i took cover yeah <laughs> that's one of my favorite things that john vanderslice does he he has this habit of kind of slyly um creating this character um because i don't know if any of his songs are specifically from him john vanderslice 100 percent uh autobiographical i mean they have like resonances like with, with himself yeah um but he does That's a, all me baby <laughs> <laughs> he does a sly thing where he creates a character um and kind of like brings you into that character's world and sort of step by step um takes you down the character's path of thinking and then all of a sudden you're at this completely bonkers spot and you're like wait a minute how did i get here how did i get yeah. to this thing where someone's just laying down in in, in the the woods basically uh he does he does a re he, really funny version of that on um i think it's in the white wilderness album which he does with the magic magic orchestra uh he has a song i for, shit i forget the name of the title <laughs> the name of the title um but it is about a guy who goes camping with some of his friends and just immediately starts dropping a bunch of lsd and uh, at the end of the song, he uh, he sees a bobcat wandering into the camp. And so he like hugs it and cuddles it and tries to feed it by hand. <laughs> and then he wakes up in a hospital bed. <laughs> and it's just like this beautiful, like orchestral, like it has like a fun, um, I think it might be a berry sax, uh, just like little uh, groove going on. And he just kind of like brings you along for this like bonkers ride. Um I really appreciate that. And he does that on this album also with the song. Let's go there. Actually, next, uh, Exodus Damage. Dance, dance, revolution. All we're gonna get. And last set falls apart. So I say go, go, go. Um, I'm interested to hear you synopsize this song, Cameron. I'm interested to hear what you got. Ooh. Out of it. So a lot of these synopses, uh, synopses, mm-hmm. a lot of these synopses on the, uh, genius are, they seem pretty accurate. And if you read it, it's a little bit hard to unread it. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, but I think the lyrics are, are pretty clear that, um, the character in the song is talking on a cell phone with someone, uh, during nine 11. Yes. Um, and that person, um, said something about how there wouldn't, there wouldn't be an immediate retaliation or something. Um, and an hour went by without a fighter in the sky. Sky. You said there's a reason why, so it sounds like it's th- this friend that he's talking to is like a conspiracy theorist. Yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then um, they compete at the the video game Dance Dance Revolution. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> the chorus goes, Dance Dance Revolution. All we're going to get unless it falls apart. So I say, go, 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 go down. Let it fall down. I'm ready for the end. Let it go. Uh, let it fall down, down, up, up, right, left. Uh huh. Uh huh. Back that, back that ass up. Um, just as a as a real time follow up, the song I was thinking of that I was describing with the bobcat and everything is called Convict Lake. And uh, actually, one of my favorite parts of the song that I forgot to mention is uh, he keeps ending every verse with, "And then I took another tab," and he just like says that over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the part with the bobcat he's like a lost bobcat found himself at the camp i held him close i fed him by hand and then i took another tab mm-hmm. so that's pretty great um so back to this song exodus damage um this i think is john vanderslice's most successful mixing of the personal and the political um it i read it as being from the perspective of almost like an acolyte of a conspiracy theorist um ah uh, yeah yeah he's like uh, the, 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 the verse that you were reading an hour went by without a fighter in the sky. You said, there's a reason why tell me now I must confess. I'm not, I'm not sick enough to guess. So he clearly has some convict conflicted feelings for this other person, but also is, um, seems to be in this person's thrall a little bit. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. the, f- the first verse of this, uh, the first couple lines 
I'll see you next fall at another gun show. I'll call the day before, like usual. Yep. Um, so I feel like unless John Vanderslice is saying I'm into guns and I like going to gun <laughs> conventions, uh-huh. I feel like he's setting up um, he's setting up a uh, a character. He's building a character right. uh, that is already suspicious <laughs> and yeah. maybe an unreliable narrator. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I think John Vanderslice kind of has a fascination for 9/11 conspiracy theorists because this is not his only song about 9/11 conspiracy theorists. Okay. Um, yeah, but then the the verse takes a very odd turn with this person saying, "But I I wanted so much more. I got Exodus damage bleed. Could not commit some things I'll never be." Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I what to don't mean. really know how to read that. Yeah, did you look up Exodus damage? No. Is that a different thing? I'm looking. Ah. Uh, no. It seems like he invented this term because all I'm seeing are lyrics pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it like he's? T- is he talking about like an exit wound? Oh. Um. Hmm. That's the closest thing I can think. But I, I guess don't really I can see that. I don't know why it's called Exodus Damage. Me either, honestly. Yeah, there's some kind of inexplicable parts of this album, and this is one of them. Yeah, and so then we get the pre-chorus. So now we're talking about this. I'm starting to lose my confidence, and no one ever says a word about so much that happens in the world. And then it's the dance, dance, revolution part. Um, And there's so I think there's kind of an undercurrent of either romance between these two people or perhaps a very strong like leader follower relationship yeah it seems Uh, asymmetrical yeah so the second plane hit at 902 saw it live on a hotel tv talking on my cell with you you said this would happen and just like that it did wrong about the feeling wrong about the sound but right to say we would stand down and then it's the lines about Mm. the hour went by without a fighter in the sky And then uh, they take the relationship a little bit further after the chorus goes again, where this person says, so you hope that one person could solve everything. And for me, that's you. And sometimes that dream is a sad delusion, but sometimes it's true. That's, I think that's a pretty good, I think that's a pretty good stanza. Yeah. I, it's not very poetic. Uh, It's very prosaic, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's um and it, it leaves it ambiguous whether this character is thinking that uh their relationship with the other person is true or is a sad delusion. Mhm. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's it's an interesting song about 9/11 conspiracy theorists who are essentially he, he's essentially getting radicalized into supporting or at least allowing civilization or the United States of America to collapse, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, that's the chorus then. Yeah. Uh, dance Dance Revolution is all we're going to get. So like Dance Dance Revolution being like the oh, modern the modern as version. As opposed to a real revolution. Right. Yeah. It's like the modern version of bread and oh, circus. Oh, I'm sorry. That's so obvious. <laughs> yeah. This is the only kind of revolution we're actually going to get until... Or unless so it falls apart. you say you want a dance, dance revolution. <laughs> exactly. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very clever uh, way to phrase that that idea. Man, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. I didn't really get what that meant, but now it seems really obvious, and I feel embarrassed. <laughs> it's okay, Cameron. I definitely Whoops. did not get it either the first however many times I heard this song. Yeah. It's not obvious. Right. I wouldn't say it's obvious. I've only heard it once. Yeah. About an hour ago. Yeah. Um, okay. I think I have time for one more, one more? song. Okay. Um, sorry, I've been like taking up so much space on your special album talking about this is my special uh, show. things I like and things I don't like. Yeah. What if, if we only have time to do one more, um, what we could, uh, we could do the, the sort of trilogy that ends the album. There are kind of three songs that flow into each other. Uh, the dead, dead slate Pacific, the golden gate and CRC seven, one, seven, three affectionately. Um, and they kind of are of a piece and one of them is instrumental. So let's, let's start with uh, dead slate Pacific. Over a carpenter's 
beam was you mm-hmm. so uh genius is down for me right now actually huh looks like uh i'm look i'm looking at it do you want me to uh send you the lyrics so you can read them sure <laughs> okay sending them on the old discord great all right so this song is um about a person who has depression and suicidal tendencies and it's it's fairly yeah. straightforward uh it tells a story at my low point i went to a professional he asked me some questions sent me to a doctor there's a moment there when you're under a doctor's care when you're safe and hopeful which when you say it like that seems kind of ominous um punched yeah. in the code ran up the stairwell he asked more questions gave me selexa and then there is the chorus that's when i really knew the only thing standing between me and that long rope over a carpenter's beam was you which is a pretty unflinching thing to say yes yeah and is the the you i'm i'm assuming is someone different than the doctor i i, I yeah i would imagine so a romantic partner or someone or a friend i guess or yeah somebody or friend yeah um and this is the only song on the album where it's just vander john vanderslice and his guitar so it's very sparse instrumentation um just him and his voice and the reverb and uh yeah i at at this time in my life i I think i mentioned i was having a rough time in philly and uh also just grappling with a lot of undiagnosed depression and anxiety uh which is not something i generally talk about in public a lot but i'll do it here and um yeah i i remember thinking sometimes that the songs that i listened to the sad songs were never sad enough for me to identify with Mm. and one of the reasons i was really drawn to this album is that the sad songs on this album do feel sad enough they they feel like it, it feels like it's written from a very honest place from a person who has struggled with anxiety, which I believe John Vanderslice has said in public that he has. Yeah. And so this and the next f- two following songs kind of form a little trilogy, a little story of um, depression and trying to treat it with pharmaceuticals. Although in, right. in the second half of the song, he says, well, I went off the pills, bought my ticket, I used to think there was nothing between us, just 6,000 miles of the dead slate Pacific. And then it gets uh, poetical. But on that United flight, in a white hot panic, I sank to the bottom of the sea. My countless horrible creatures, complicated undersea secrets. If I didn't go diving there with a spear gun, knife, and flare, how would I ever make it through? And then the song ends with the chorus. That's when I really knew the only thing standing between me and that long rope hung on a carpenter's beam was you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I it it ends in a very ambiguous place where this person is off their meds and kind of dives into their own uh, struggle and their own. um, Yeah. It, 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 it it makes a metaphor of like the undersea creatures and and horrible uh, creatures and undersea secrets and stuff. And like the, I guess it's, it's sort of like that old phrase, like the only way out is in, is that, is that right? No. or through <laughs> or through i guess yeah. yeah and so it seems to be that this person is like tackling it head on um but maybe not in the most healthy way going off the pills and right yeah counting uh their survival just on one person right yeah that is yeah. not necessarily a, a very uh strong basis to have yeah. um and i'm really curious why he's on the plane bought my ticket i used to think there was nothing between us just six thousand miles of the dead slate pacific so i think he's going to visit this person i guess yeah in asia or australia yeah six thousand miles is a lot yeah yeah that's like two americas (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and so the the chord progression is picked up by the next song the golden gate uh where it is joined by a bunch more instruments bunch more instruments and some hard one bleeps and bloops mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I, I didn't actually realize that that was a separate track. Yeah, it just blends right into it. Yeah. Um, but that part is totally instrumental. Um, yeah, what did you what did you think of these two songs together? Um, yeah, I thought they were pr- pretty intense, uh, and i i appreciated I appreciated the um, the flight scene mm-hmm. where he like. Uh, just totally freaks out and imagines that he's uh, at the bottom of the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that pretty well. Um, the instrumental track didn't do a lot for me. It mostly just felt like a extended outro. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe if I had related to the song more, I would have felt like that uh, the golden gate, the outro to the dead slate Pacific may have, um, helped me just sort of sit and in the feelings that the lyrical song had, um, instilled, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it is, I don't know. I, I appreciate it for bringing like a sense of resolution and hope to the earlier song to the, uh, dead slate Pacific, um, because that is such a dark song and goes to such dark places. Um, yeah. As a, as a side note, that whole scene about like, sinking to the bottom of the sea like he 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 states it as a metaphor which is to say that he doesn't he doesn't say i felt like i sank to the bottom of the sea he says i did sink to the bottom of the sea yeah and um that's the kind of writing that um i can resonate with because um especially trying to deal with things like depression and anxiety the the metaphor doesn't necessarily feel so metaphorical to, to a certain degree. It literally feels like you're like sinking into the ocean sometimes. Um, yes. So it's kind of a, a bonkers and overstated metaphor and to a certain degree, but it, I think it suits the intensity of the, the rest of the right. song. Yeah. Hmm. And then the album ends with a song called CRC seven, one, seven, three affectionately. It's so much better now. So it's a, is that supposed to how ironic is this supposed to feel that's the question <laughs> it sounds like oh i got my meds i'm good to go <laughs> like yep. doing like a like a mickey mouse walk yep exactly with, like the little mickey mouse jazz yeah hands. it's a very like bright poppy <laughs> thing but it also has like some pretty intense lyrics we all have to fall is the opening line but why so fast and why so far? Which I think kind of picks up the the thread from the falling into the ocean scene from earlier. And then he immediately goes into, it's so much better now. It's so much better now. Desk drawer pharmacy, CRC 7173. And someone on the Genius, or maybe it was Song Meanings, perhaps, says that, uh, you know how when you get pills, sometimes they just have numbers or letters printed on them. They said that Gabapentin at one point came with CRC 7173 written on the front and back. Gotcha. Um, although a Google image search didn't reveal anything. And, oh, by the way, yeah, gabapentin is an antidepressant of some kind. Gotcha. Yeah. And then <laughs> verse two is um, super interesting to me. We all have to fall, but why so fast and why so far? What you said is a goddamn lie. There's plenty left to lose. It stared me down and left me shaking in my shoes. And then it's it's so much better now. It's so much better now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that second verse. It feels um, like it's encouraging a little more trust from the listener. Um, yeah. Because it feels real. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it, it feels like he's not just sedated. He's like, no, I actually uh, what, I, I needed to be snapped out of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much everybody has plenty left to lose, even yeah. if it's just life, you know? And uh, yeah, I think I think he does leave it ambiguous how ironic he intends this upbeat song to be about how much the drugs are solving his problems. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's meant to evoke that kind of ambiguity because uh, there is a moment there is a moment there when you're under a doctor's care when you're safe and hopeful to quote the earlier song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I know, I know you got to go, so we should, we should wrap this up, but yeah, this is a cool, cool album, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope it didn't seem like I was 
coming down on it too hard. Uh, I think, I mean, like I said, at the beginning, I was feeling a little bit bored. But I think by the time we got to Transmanual, which unfortunately we didn't really get a chance to get to, right. um, and especially New Zealand Pines, which was probably my favorite song. Um, and uh, there's some like lighter songs too. Like there's a song with a really cool vibraphones solo about um, uh, accidentally letting someone's uh, rabbit get loose and then they die. <laughs> I love that song. It's so good. Uh, yeah, there's some like really great moments. Um, and I think it's, well spaced out um uh different kinds of songs in different places so yeah it's a cool album yeah thanks dog all right well uh until next week with we're gonna try to do garth brooks fun but if we can't do that i have another idea perhaps of a of a little palate cleanser if we're if we have to schedule season 10 at a certain time uh but cameron and i will coordinate about that uh so until next week you can visit us online at boxset.website you can email us at email at boxset.website or go on our discord which is honestly better uh write us a review on itunes smash that like button tell your friends about it uh listen to cameron's other podcast get up in the cool and until next week please do i've been nathan hunt and my palate is so dirty and I have been Cameron DeWitt, and check out this sad kickflip. Now that's close. Fuck. <laughs> God you can cut that out of my track. Or the is sound <laughs> sounds track. Ugh, fuck. Um, what does that look like, getting in shape for a 10K? Um... It looks like a chubby white guy um, trying to run without hurting himself. Okay. Oh, I forgot to say uh, aging chubby white guy. Aging. Yeah, you're old now. I'm getting old. I figured out what my age in binary is, and it's 10,000, Cameron. It's 10,000. I'm so old. You're 10,000 bits old. (laughs) I am 10,000 bits old. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it.